G'day community and welcome to the Jock Mailbag Podcast. Joining me as always is Clarky. How you doing, mate? Yeah, doing pretty good. Also joining us is the man who stepped into my shoes in the very first episode of the season, Baron. Good to have you back, mate. Thanks for having me again, fellas. And special guest this week is Tom, who is the lead supercoach analyst for Marrera's Magic. He's a back-to-back top 10 finisher and coach of the team, Dyslexia Untied. Thank you so much for joining us. No, my pleasure, guys. This man is doing it and following all his own rules and doing well. Lots of questions to dive into. Actually, before we get on to questions, Tom, how have you done a back-to-back top 10 finish? Like, what's your mantra when you look at trades and how to move your team around? Um, Yeah, look, I guess the number one thing is a bit of luck. Uh, You don't go back-to-back top 10 without a fair few things going right for you. Um, I think over those two years, I was really set on on that. Uh, on a strategy which was was guns and rookies and being really strong um, in in picking the players that I was confident in. We're going to finish top six as a defender forward or um, top eight as a midfielder from the get-go, but looking for value in those positions. Um, That obviously worked out those two years. Um, And then I guess when it comes to trading, I guess those those stock standard rules of no sideways, waiting for your uh, rookies to mature. So if they haven't hit sort of that... 130 plus mark, 150k mark, um, not moving them on and, and looking for the value, the value top eight selections um, on their lines when you're moving along through the season once you hit upgrade cadence. And I think probably my strength in those two years was I came home with a fair few trades. So being really conservative with them, no sidewaysing, only using them on, on players that I was really confident were going to be there come the end of the year. As as a um a really confident like clearly you know very confident in your strategy, how do you how do you deal with sort of you know I've you, know, you said that luck was a large part of it, but obviously you know the times where you would say you probably you're unlucky. Do you do you find that you have a strategy for dealing with those really immediate problems as they pop up, or do you kind of just go look I back back myself in and write it out and then assess going forward? Um, look, it depends. I, I think when you're like, even in those years, I got like, I didn't get everything right. I think last year I started, um, two failed mid prices from the get go that I had to trade out pretty early. Um, you're obviously going to get injuries. You, you bring in a player that doesn't perform or the one that goes out a, a week later, that certainly happened to me. I think it's just dealing with what comes, but you just want to minimize risk, uh, in, in every trade that you bring in. I think this week, um, I know Hall was someone that was brought in by a lot of people and there was, I guess if you're doing the research, you heard that there was rumblings going around that he went for scans earlier in the week and even though he got up, um, that was something that just ruled him out completely for me and uh, I guess um, when I was looking at a defender, it put a line through him because you just can't be dealing with those sort of sort of risks, someone that had that soft tissue injury in the preseason. I think across all lines, you've sort of just got to reduce that risk. It could even be looking at a player that's had, um, I guess, a bit of a purple patch to start the season. I always want to go for someone that's been a little bit more proven, that's done it over a couple of years, because they could their form could drop off at a cliff. You brought them in as a premium, and obviously if you've got the rule of don't sideways premiums, now you've got someone that's just going to be underperforming in your side throughout the year. So um, just trying to minimise risk, uh, being you know, uh, as confident as the picks as you can be um, and not trying to really pick the breakouts. I probably, as a rule, have not opted to look for a pod. I think if you're looking for a, play, a point of difference, you're going to put yourself, um, once you're going against the curve, so if your pod doesn't work out, 
you're screwed. Um, uh, but if you're going with the curve and they work out uh, and they don't work out, well, everyone else is screwed along with you. So you don't get hurt as bad. So that that's probably a few things that have um, guided me over the past couple of years, but we might have a chat about how I'm going this year and it's not too great. So um, <laughs> maybe I needed to be a little bit more, uh, take a few more risks this year. No, I think we can leave it there and move on to the questions that we got in this week. Um, lots of questions about the ruck line and, there was a bit of a debate on how people should start this year, their ruck line, and there are still questions even after round five. And Shane Whelan on Facebook, he's having an all sorts of ruck dilemma. He, uh, he's he got Grundy, Wits, Dixon, and Jack Hayes. He's worried about how Grundy's going. He doesn't think Bruce is going to get a run with Flynn doing so well in the Giants team, despite Leon Cameron saying that Bruce will come back. He's having a look at Sean Darcy, someone who appears to be getting back into form. He's lost. He wants to know what he needs to do. Um, I reckon if Grundy underperforming is your worst issue you've got at the moment, your team's probably doing pretty well. Um, My gut immediately would be just to stick with what you have there. That's four players, and I don't see that as being a huge issue. I'm less inclined to trust Bruce with Flynn sitting there, Briggs as well. Like there's ample opportunity for the Giants to bring in two rucks and then it's it's a bit of a problem where you're not paying much to get Bruce in, so that's not a big problem, but he's not going to score well enough to be your R2. So um, my suggest immediately would just be to stick with what you have already. I certainly wouldn't be trading Grundy out. I think it's his lowest score in like four and a half years or something. So... Um, certainly a bit of an aberration there. Uh, I, I do like Bruce. Um, I think he, I wouldn't play him at R2, but I think bringing him, him in for cash generation is certainly something worth doing. The only reason that I'm having doubts about it is because we've got Hayes from uh, Port Adelaide that's potentially going to be in the frame for next week. So um, I would only be able to get one of them. But when you're sort of looking at that team um, with Grundy, Wits, um, and those two other the ruckman. If you, I, I like Bruce, and if it was me, I would be sort of looking at trading out a, a mid or, or forward rookie, bringing Hayes down and playing Bruce at R three, just because you've got that cash gen. He's gonna um, make probably a hundred k just over the next week and a half. Like so, if he if he goes at like a hundred, if he goes at a hundred, um, he'll make two hundred k over four weeks or so. So, and Clarky, you're a Melbourne man. Warren has asked kind of a similar question as well. He wants to know: Is Max gone back, or have these last two weeks been an aberration? I think the true secret that some of the listeners may have forgotten is Max Gorn never left. The beard was always in our hearts. Um, I, look, I think I covered it. Probably, I can't remember. Maybe it was a week or two ago, where. The biggest issue I think that Max Gorn had in those weeks where he was down was that it wasn't the ruck split time. Like, take that out of the equation because I don't think that was ever going to affect his scoring, but it was the different roles that he plays as he moves around the field now. So he moves forward, he moves back, he gets intercept marks, he takes kicks, he gets the ball out when he's not doing ruck work. So the two bad weeks, I think I would probably say were just particularly bad games from him, not not necessarily just a lack of ability to score, but just purely he just you know he dropped a couple marks, you kick a couple clangers, you kick a you know a goal shot out on the full like you know Max Gorn loves to do, and now he's kind of settling into it. He's going to get that form, and he's playing a really integral role through that Melbourne side. So he's picking up the extra points. So 
you know, I think we said it then, you got to stick in, stick with him. So I don't think there's any reason to suspect that that'll happen. Maybe it'll roller coaster a little bit more from bad games, but you know, it's he's he's never left. I think I think he was never in doubt. Kind of um, kind of like what Tom was saying before, where you know you pick these guys and you back them in because they've got proven history. And I think it's it's kind of the same thing that I'd say about Grundy. Um, you know, which is seems to be on people's minds at the moment, where we know that they can do it because they can do it. So a bad game is just a bad game. You only have that score for a week if you're planning to keep Gorn for the whole season or Grundy for the whole season. And just on Grundy, I don't think Collingwood's going to play Cox, Cameron, and Grundy in the same team ever, ever oh, again. When that no. when that sub was activated, it was always going to be one of their ruckmen that 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 got the chop and. Even if no one was injured, they were said Mason Cox's glasses broke because it wasn't working having all those ruckmen on the on the ground and Grundy wasn't sure where he was supposed to play when when one of the other guys was in the ruck and I don't think Colling was going to go down that road again. I think Mychek coming back potentially Tom Wilson going out, who's another tall sort of player who can play a key position role, possibly going out this week. Grundy should return to his scoring and. Sam Draper is already tiring for Essendon. So in the Anzac Day clash this week, we could see a nice score from Grundy as a bit of a rebound. And those first two weeks from Max Gorn as well, he scored a 92 having an awful game, meaning that if that his four was already pretty much set and the 87 or whatever it was the week after against the Suns, that was a sticky, humid sort of game. It wasn't built for a Ruckman. That's why you saw the likes of Jake Bowie come out with a 150 or whatever it was and and the Ruckman really struggling, the tall guys really struggling in that game against the Suns. So I think the first two weeks was more of an aberration than the last two weeks for Max Gorn. This week, the new DPPs came in, the new dual position players. Uh, Lechdog and Patch and I went through that list uh, on the podcast earlier in the week and there were a few names in there that stood out and a few names in there that didn't really mean a lot. Mitch Santon has asked on Instagram, what is the best way to utilize the new dual position players? There's no real best way to do it, I guess. The the most obvious way is when you're trading out is whichever line is your weakest, you can swap things around to strengthen it a bit. So like for me, for example, my back two defenders, my uh, D7 and 8 are not great so if i was to move maybe nathan o'driscoll out from my midfield if i was trading in another player i could send him back and strengthen that back line a bit you know so it's just a matter of yeah i guess identifying where your team's the weakest and you can maybe use those new dpps to strengthen them a bit tom it's one of those things that you really just have to use isn't it yeah 100 percent um uh, and like baron was saying i think when there wasn't any players that came in that are sort of like must-haves now that they've moved on to a different line. Um, it's just about those players that we can shuffle around to strengthen up um, our structures and um, it might be getting uh, two really underperforming rookies or, or rookies that you're playing rookie roulette with. So, you know, maybe Nick Martin and Jack Hayes in the forward line, you can um, move out a midfielder uh, onto the bench um, through a trade and, and bring one of those up to the midfield and then bang, you've got uh, that extra scoring on field. So I think that's the number one factor this year is just being able to restructure our sides. And I would say that the obvious answer to this is that the best way to utilize the new DTPs is uh, welcome to my defensive line, uh, Nick Dacos. Yeah, he's sort of turned into a bit of a keeper or someone who we probably need to think about last now, given that he's got that defensive position and 
Thank God for that. He's very good at football. He's very good at football. And I love that for a super coach player. It makes it really easy. Next, we're moving on to some a bit of trade scenarios here. The first one is uh, Mia Dowie on Twitter, or Mia Dowie. I don't know how to say your name. I'm so sorry. She wants to know, if I trade Raul, should I look at upgrading one of my defensive rookies? Or should I get McRae at what is probably his lowest price for a while? I kind of want to start this one off by saying, how much of your team are you tearing apart by getting in Jack McRae? That's probably the first thing that you need to work out. I wouldn't tear apart your team to bring in Jack McRae if you don't have him. He's going to be a very good player and you're probably being hurt by not having him, but you're probably going to hurt your team more by tearing it apart to get him in. Um, the defensive rookies haven't been great. Uh, you do have Nick Dacos, as we said, and Nathan O'Driscoll, who can go back there now, but the defensive rookies are probably players who you can probably do without now, and they haven't really made uh, as much money as they still can. But if you're looking to move on, Raul, then maybe... Uh, Upgrade one of your defensive rookies is probably the best and safest option. I, yeah, I think if it's a straight swap, I can see why you would do it. That makes the most sense. Uh, but, you know, if you're trading out route, you do want to make an economic upgrade. So if that means that you skip McRae and say upgrade uh, Jack Sinclair into your defensive line, then that seems like it's a much better move. In terms of you, you know, you're using less cash overall. You're not tearing apart your team entirely. Um, I think it's like you said. You know, you're hurt by not having Jack McRae, but also you're going to hurt yourself by you know forcing him, forcing the puzzle piece into the puzzle where it doesn't fit. Tom, have you ever t- tried to go against the grain by not bringing in a popular player like a someone like Jack McRae and? Or do you always sort of pick those players that are that are most obvious? Uh, I certainly pick the players that are most obvious, um, and particularly, obviously, at the start of the year. Uh, I think when you're looking at a trade like Rout to McRae, um, and like you mentioned, um, you're curious about what's going to have to happen to the rest of the side to, to facilitate that. Um, I, I typically won't go for those top enders. You've really got to look for value. I think um, McRae's priced at six eighty one. Um, that's very expensive. Like even if he is to, to manage like really elite scoring at 150 every week, he's not going to really get that much more up in price, but one poor score and you might save 80 K on him. Um, and you can grab maybe a Christian Petrarca instead and save yourself hundred K. I think when you're looking at trades like that, you've got to be also conscious about what you're going to be able to do next week as well. And that hundred K is going to probably better facilitate your side than a Jack McRae will. We'll move on to the next question. We'll stick in the defense line and we'll talk about uh, Lockie Whitfield. Is now the time to turn Lockie Whitfield into someone like Jack Sinclair? Hasn't started the year like um, owners would have hoped. Three scores in the 70s, two scores in the in the, in the 90s. Been quite frustrating for those that own him. Is he a trade, Tom? Uh, I traded him out early as a, a corrective. I had him and I traded him out in, in that first block as um, corrective trade. But right now, I, I don't think he is. I think you've got to hold him, to be honest. Um, I've got Ridley, who's sort of in that similar boat as an underperforming premium, someone I've picked as a premium. Um, and you've just got to hold, I think. Um, we've got to be really upgrading now if you're using one trade to, to sideways someone. Um, that's leaving you probably a trade behind the competition that they're upgrading or downgrading and getting cash uh, to facilitate next week. So you want to stay in that upgrade cadence. And I think any sidewaysing of a player you expected to be a premium is going to hurt you long term. I think I have a 50-50 on this where 
this week Toby Green comes back, right? So yep. I'm half expecting the Giants to just play better as a team. Um, you know, I think, th- and I think that does have a really positive impact across the board for Tom Green's, Josh Kelly's, Canelio's, and Whitfield's because they're not trying to cover that gap that Green obviously left in the team, which I don't think anyone expected was going to be as big as it was. Um, I was at the Melbourne GWS game and they just looked real rough, like kind of everywhere. Like from where I was sitting on the on the wing in the general admission area, it was like I think Flynn really looked like probably one of their better players on the ground. Just he looked like he was having a really good go on the ruck, and everybody else was kind of slow and there are lots of mistakes. So I I agree with you, Tom. Where it's I think at this stage you kind of miss the boat to jump off. Um, you kind of want to back him in, and I think you will see an improvement in him over the next couple of weeks, hopefully. Um, although it is Leon Cameron, so it could just go the other way as well. Baron, the next question comes from someone who wants us to discuss uh, his aggressive trade thought. Okay. Uh, he wants to turn Hinge, Rowell, and Grundy into Jack Sinclair, Isaac Heaney, and Braden Pruce. Yes, I quite like that, only for the fact that you're probably going two players who won't be in your final team in Hinge and Rowell for Sinclair and Heaney, who probably will. Um, and I'm not sure who the other ruck is for pairing up with uh, uh, Bruce, but um, he should still score well enough. So, yeah, I, I would uh, pursue that aggressive trade if uh, I was uh, uh, thinking about that kind of move. Tom, is it too sideways? It's not too sideways. Personally, it's not for me, but um, I was actually thinking of similar uh, similar trades like this um, in the pot I did with uh, Moira's Magic earlier in the week. And it's not something I would also talk someone out of. I think when you look getting the one down two up, it's certainly justified. It really depends on who that uh, Grundy is is paired with. Um, if you had Grundy paired with a Wits, I really don't like that. So then you go into Wits to Bruce. But obviously if you've got a Gorn there or a Darcy or an English or someone along those lines, I think it's it's, it's probably fine. Um, I would personally rather look somewhere else to try and get those three ins. Um, if you could potentially do it, um, depends on how much cash you had or, or getting someone cheaper than a Heaney, potentially in a Jordan Degoe. Um, and moving on to Jason Horn francis I don't know if the cash would work. But I personally wouldn't do that. But I certainly wouldn't talk anyone out of it because that's a, that's a solid upgrade to your team. Mato, we love Mato. Mato's written some content for the Jock Reynolds and he's asked a question for us to discuss. Is it a bad idea to bring in Ben Hobbs a week early? And I suppose we can add Sam Hayes into that as well and discuss that as well. Is Ben Hobbs or Sam Hayes either one worth bringing in early? Maybe Sam Hayes instead of Braden Pruce, but doesn't. I mean, I know Sam Hayes is the only fit ruckman at Port Adelaide at the moment, but there's nothing that's going to stop him from getting injured if that so happens. So there's always that risk, I guess. It's a no from me. I think it's. I I never like bringing in players a week early if I unless I absolutely have to, just purely because I like to see is there consistency in what they're doing. You know, it's one, you know, one week's a, an anomaly, but two weeks can indicate a kind of pattern of how they're going to go. And I think, yeah, Hayes does scream risk to me purely because he is literally the only guy. 
Like it's the only guy he's not obviously had a lot of AFL level ruck time. Um, so seeing how that works as well within the Port Adelaide team, and he's going to be relying on hitouts. Um, and yeah, we, yeah, I wouldn't be looking at these guys a week early. I'd probably say there's a few options as well sitting around that are currently on the bubble. I don't mind ringing in Sam Hayes early if he's the only one that you can afford. I think Ben Hobbs is one that you probably have to wait and see how Essendon go because how does Ben Hobbs fit into that Essendon side once Jake Stringer potentially returns, once I don't know who else they've got coming back, but Jake Stringer is probably the most impending one that's that's out there. Does Ben Hobbs stay in the team once Jake Stringer returns? Because we know Jake Stringer can play in the midfield. He's probably the player they most miss at the moment as well. Ben Hobbs didn't have a bad game, but I mean, if a team has their best 22 in mind and needs a player to really push themselves to break in, then maybe Ben Hobbs is that unlucky one that gets reverted to to the sub because of um, because of the players who, who are returning. And so I think Ben Hobbs is more of a risk than Sam Hayes. But as you but as you said, Clarkie, because Sam Hayes is the only one at on Port Adelaide's list, and if he does get injured. It's gonna be it's got it's gonna be interesting to see how Port Adelaide manage if he does get injured. Tom, would you trade in any of those guys early? Not yeah, not unless I absolutely have to had to. And I was just looking now. So Sam Hayes, he was there. He's their only ruckman that's fit on their list, and he had a sixty eight percent time on ground. Um, he was blowing up uh, basically halfway through the second quarter. He's not super fit. He's not going to be able to run out of game. That just screams injury risk or even um, a, a resting. At, at, some point um so not someone i'd go early on um he really didn't play all that well he got 11 hit outs to advantage which was his entire score that's well above the mean so um yeah not someone i'd be bringing in early definitely get another look at him and same as hobbs um you just don't know what's going to happen if you don't if you don't have to don't go early on a rookie we kind of touched on him earlier with the lucky whitfield question but uh baron what's your advice on jordan ridley please tell me what to do yeah, I think it's pretty much exactly the same as Whitfield. If you've stuck with him now, you're probably going to have to try and ride it out for a bit longer and hope he can turn it around. And maybe, as you said, with someone like Stringer coming back, like Green for GWS, maybe that's a bit of a catalyst for Essendon to uh, get a bit of pep in their step, you know? I do, have a, I do have a counterpoint for you. If I can turn him into Tim English... But then that's the same as Whitfield. If you could turn Whitfield into someone, I th- I think moving Jordan Ridley is is very sideways. Um, and Tom, you said that you're against those very sideways trades, and it feels like Jordan Ridley moving him now to anyone is very sideways. Yeah, look, it, it's my rule not to sideways. I'm really strong <laughs> on it, um, and I'm sitting there looking at Jordan Ridley in my back line. I want to move him on so bad. Uh, so, um, look, it's one of those things you just can't cause it, w- there's other trades to be made that's going to be progressing your team long-term and what's Ridley at worst is his lowest score for the year was a 68 round one, but then he's got 100, 115, 74, 82. Um, look, if he's your D, um, six come the buys, that's not the worst case scenario, I think. Starting that upgraded cadence and trying to get uh, English a different way is probably the right thing to do because you've already lost Castro on Ridley um, and we all know he's capable of pumping out a big score or at least 100 plus because he's done it two out of his five games this year. And what about Jake Lloyd? Is he someone who's going to be a bargain? Um, is this what his scoring is going to be like now? 
yeah, I, I think um, he, he's not going to get back to what he was, uh, what he was previously. Just given the fact that um, Swans are moving the ball quicker out of defense, they're not really using that chip chip game, and they're certainly not looking to put it in the hands of Lloyd because they've got some decent users of the ball back there. So um, he's not going to hit that ceiling, but at the same time, I, I think he's always going to be good for around that hundred average. Um, at worst, which, yeah, when he, when he does bottom out, um, I think he's going to be w- well worth bringing in. So someone to put on your shopping list for when he bottoms out, I guess, and he's still got a break even of 132 this week, so potentially still more cash to lose. We'll move on to looking at the round ahead and discussing some captaincy options. So we'll start on Friday night. You've got the Giants against St Kilda at Marnica Oval. I think Jack Steele's the one that really stands out here, but who knows if he gets tagged by Matt DeBoer or Lockie Ash. Anyone else, uh, Clarkie? I think you could maybe look at Canelio or Kelly if you really wanted to just go, look, I've got a loophole. Let's roll the dice a bit. Uh, but I think, yeah, I think you covered it with Jack Steele being the most obvious one, but I kind of expect St. Kilda as well just to really easily end this one. The next game is the Western Bulldogs at... Mars Stadium against uh, the Adelaide Crows. Baron, your boys. Will Ben Keyes, Rory Laird step up in the absence of Rory Sloan? Are they potentially captaincy options there alongside McRae, Bontempelli, you know, the usual Bulldog suspects? Yeah, I wouldn't be picking anyone other than Jack McRae in that game. He will tear those Crows midfield midfielders up, I think. Much too quick for him. The winless Port Adelaide take on the almost winless West Coast Eagles at Adelaide Oval. Travis Boak has been in good form. Zach Butters has returned to form thanks to the return of Robbie Gray. I'm not saying they're captaincy options, but they're people you can probably take take a gamble on. Um, I want West Coast to win this so bad. I'd like Port Adelaide to get on the board on this one, but I'm kind of biased. Boo this man. Boo him. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, I mean, it's your two, the two most hated clubs between you two. So... (laughs) And then on the Saturday night, you've got the Dockers against the Blues. So if Patrick Cripps returns for that, who knows if he's completely fit there. So maybe he's someone you leave. Um, Andy Brayshaw, who knows if he gets tagged. Is Will Brody a vice-captaincy option? Maybe, maybe not. Um, Adam Chera will probably get a lot of attention because of the uh, events of last offseason. George Hewitt, um, potentially, maybe not. There's a lot of potential, but maybe not in this game here. Um, Tom, anyone standing out to you from the Fremantle-Carlton game to potentially put the vice-captaincy on or even the captaincy? Andy Brayshaw, I think, would be the one. Um, Carlton don't tag, and he's gone massive when he hasn't copped attention. So um, he'd be be the one for me if I did have him. Yeah, wouldn't get on Crips coming off a hamstring if you did hold him. Um, That's a recipe for disaster. Uh, If you had Walsh, uh, I don't mind that for a shout as well. Moving on to Sunday, North Melbourne hosts Geelong at Blunston Arena. I was thinking about Patrick Dangerfield as an option in this game, but I also remember that North Melbourne seemed to somehow gain form out of nowhere when they play at Blunston. So we may not see any real captaincy-worthy scores here. Maybe Tom Stewart? Tom Hawkins. Tom Hawkins. They might rest Tom Hawkins. He was pretty sore after that Hawthorne game. Well, after flying through the cosmos. Bad landing on that one, did he? Crash landing. Yeah. Not a lot to talk about in that game. Uh, what about uh, 
Zeri, would you take a flyer on him? Oh, yeah, because Geelong don't have a Ruckman. Yeah. They've got three Ruckmen, and they don't know who they want to play. Yeah. Ray Stanley isn't a Ruckman, and I refuse to believe anything <laughs> otherwise. I mean, Sunday's a bit late to have a VC, but you could. I, you could. No, I'm saying go full captain on him. You'd go, Ugh. Later, late, later that Sunday is the Q Clash with the Suns hosting the Lions. Lockie Neal is probably the biggest standout here. Took Miller isn't probably another one that you could potentially look at. But if you've got Lockie Neal, you're not going to go for Took Miller, are you, Tom? Nah, that'd be my dilemma. Um, uh, and yeah, no way. I think Barry has been given some defensive jobs as well. So I think he might stand next to, to Took, at least at the stoppages. Richmond take on Melbourne in the Anzac Day Eve clash. Max Gorn stands out here because um, Toby Nankervis hasn't had the greatest year so far and he's about to be double teamed. Max is going to show him what a real captain does. And then they've also got Oliver and Petrarca as well. Richmond love giving up points to, to midfielders. So there's those points on offer as well. Moving on to Anzac Day, Hawthorne take on Sydney at the Utah Stadium. Tom Mitchell kind of had a return to form against the Cats on Easter Monday. Um, who knows if he can keep that up, but potentially. He's probably not someone you want to put the captaincy on, so might have missed the boat for, for a vice-captaincy option there. Uh, no one really standing out as a captaincy option. Maybe Heaney as a, as a last-ditch effort, but then you've got Essendon and Collingwood later on in the day, and... You would say Brody Grundy is probably the better is probably the better last ditch captaincy option against Sam Draper in that game. Yeah, I think we can agree with that. All right, that pretty much sums it up. Thanks, Tom, for joining us. <laughs> My pleasure, mate. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, Clarky, thanks again. Oh, it's always a pleasure. And Baron, thank you. And thank you for having me. Any questions across the weekend? Tag us in your questions using the hashtag Jock Mailbag, and we will see you next week.